0: We are I. We're sitting down with Sohail and Susan today and uh, just from the conversations we've been having like the last uh, half an hour, this is going to just be an absolute wild ride because I thought my eye blankets were just popped wide open um, just with knowing really surface information about these two. Um, it's just the, the story is so much more rich, it's so much more incredible than I thought it ever was going to be. So. Um, just sit down and make sure that you have time because you're going to want to invest every second and you're just going to hang off these words i absolutely guarantee it so welcome to the show sohail welcome to the show susan thank you thank Thank you we're happy to be here thank you so much
1: for inviting us here
0: no problem no problem so um i want to get right into i want to i want you to start from iran and walk us through it from there because this story what from what i've learned in the last 15 minutes is absolutely just incredible.
1: (laughs) Well, my name is Sohail Matahede. Matahede, by the way, in Persian means unity because my grandfather asked a great man, a wise man, who actually is, his name is Abdul Baha. He's the uh, son of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith, which I believe in. So basically, Uh, Unity is the core. It has been inspiring me from very, very early childhood. From the moment I was born, inspiration around the house was the suffering of one is the suffering of all. And that inspired every moment, every action, every service, every thought uh, in the family was, okay. we are here. We have a destiny to fulfill. The best way is to be serving humanity. So that was the source of my inspiration, and that guided every other step in my life. So basically, uh, at the age of 9, 10, um, oh, yes, I left Iran. Uh, I was born in 1950, and in 1956, (laughs) at the age of six, we left Iran. We were seven brothers and sisters, which is a huge family. And at that time, my father and mother, they were extremely wealthy they actually lived next to the Shah of Iran. <laughs> we were at the same wall uh, separating our, our homes. But um, they felt that the best way that they could educate the seven children was to take them to Europe and uh, be of service at the same time. So that's where we started our journey. And there was six and we landed uh, the first place. We landed in Holland. Uh, and with seven children and my mom and dad nine people in Holland houses are so small nobody could fit us in any house we could not rent any house there so we ended up to at, in Switzerland um, well Switzerland was quite a, an interesting country to live in just to give you a, a short story for the first time I decided to put some learn some music And uh, I chose to do um, trumpet, Um, but I didn't know. The first time I uh, experienced trumpet, I played trumpet in a house, police showed up.
0: And uh, <laughs> there was my musical uh, desire to learn music and uh, that was your parents passive way of just saying they didn't like what was coming out of that trumpet.
1: <laughs> so uh, Switzerland was a tough place for you had to be extremely regimented in every discipline and everything that you do. But anyway that passion of discovering nature, around environment and seeing possibilities I always looked at things in a different way from at the age of nine i knew i was going to become an inventor because i felt that the world there's so many creativity that we can bring in so much improvement because everything looked oh how about if we were doing this different way how about looking always under the table rather than looking over the table (laughs) so basically that idea that concept that things could be improved, that the world could be a better place. And when you're young and you are uh, full of uh, possibilities, imagination, um, and you have parents that are always encouraging you, you think that you can change the world. And so I wanted to become a mover and shaker. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started to do little experiment here and there. My brother and sister, Uh, tell me that I was quite naughty as well. (laughs) Um, Doing a lot of experiments that were somehow dangerous for the house. (laughs) Put fire in the house or something like that. But anyway, so um, at the age of about when I was 11 years old, 12, 13, suddenly 14, no, 14, 15, suddenly uh, somebody who was taking care of our properties in Iran um, uh, unfortunately embezzled all the belonging of my family and my father had also a, a number of uh, oil <laughs> well, and at that time the government nation, nationalized all the wealth and so basically we felt everything was taken away from us, we had nothing left and um, so we were at that time in Switzerland and um, so my mom and dad decided, okay, we have to do something about it. And very fortunately, some families that were we were classmates with, they said that, oh, we love you guys. So each member of the family, they offered to stay with us, keep us for a year. And so we joined these families, and it was a beautiful experience. At the same time, it was very sad, but. Um, sometimes uh, having these experiences uh, makes you stronger and um, so we we were left for one year with uh, all these families that were behind um, in Switzerland they helped us uh, to have a different vision perspective of life uh, we saw the love um, the giving the generosity and uh, it taught us that actually deep in us every human being we have love in our heart we have a desire to be of service to others and when we express that desire that's where really we expand we we feel fulfilled so anyway we stayed there and in the process of doing that uh, after about a year and a half later that's it the time had come and we had to go back to iran and um, so we went back to iran and um, thanks god my mom was an amazing uh, seamstress and uh, she was extremely creative so she would travel come back to to france and europe buy very high quality um kind of wedding clothes but these were all somehow um, had a, a, a challenge in them, had a, 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 a fault in the, this beautiful wedding cloth from Christian Dior and all these things and she would buy it at very, very low price and she would take it back to Iran and she would fix them, and it was amazing. And so very quickly, we financially recovered (laughs) through her creativity. And uh, so the challenge for us became, we learned that resilience in front of difficulties make you actually, give you possibilities that everything actually, even the most difficult challenges of life, financial or conditions and so on, you can overcome them. Another difficulty that was, has happened, I, my language had become French because now I was living only in French-speaking countries and I had forgotten my own Persian language. But here I am back in Iran and I have to go to go grade 12 and I don't speak the language. And I don't know even the, how to r- read and write the language. And you have to go grade 12 because that's the most important year of the high school. So it was a big, big, big challenge um, learning the language, crying every day and wondering, oh, my God, how am I going to learn that, that those poetry that are so extraordinarily beautiful, the poetry of Omar Khayyam, of uh, uh, the most amazing um, philosophers and so on. So um, that was a big, big challenge. But thanks, God it made us very strong because we had to overcome there was no going back that's it you have to (laughs) to accept the reality of life and so that was one another story that i remember is that because we were so many children in one house um, at night i had to go out and in iran it was very much tradition traditional that preparing the final exam, you had to spend the whole night actually outside. Because why outside? It's because everybody, every student had their own street pole with electricity shining. And so each one of us would go and I had my pole, electrical pole in the city. I knew where the light was there. And I would walk and back and forth and uh, try to learn as much as possible, remember. Some some history. The, my biggest challenge was not math. I was good at math, but uh, um, the other was mostly the literature. Persian literature was tough, tough, tough on me, because I didn't have the background and the knowledge and so on. So I happened to be actually being member of the Baha'i community. There was beautiful, beautiful holy writings that I loved to recite and learn by heart and a number of them were prayers and meditations and very high philosophical value of life, the purpose of life, who am I, where am I going, where, where is, is their destiny, is there life after life, and all these questions were mentioned in those beautiful books, and I would, how to say, memorize them. And then when I had to write literature, because i had memorized this beautiful poetry that i loved so much then when they were asking me to write uh, you know literature something because i had to pass the exam i remember all this literature so i will kind of tweak in that part of the pieces of that literature into the few sentence that i could write and barely my my handwriting looks like a three years old five years old ten years old child because uh, i didn't have the practice to, to but at the end unbelievable my teacher came to me and um, he saw the degree in which i was lagging but he was surprised that somehow in literature despite that i was so bad i couldn't speak really the language i still managed to get the grade <laughs> so Anyway, he was also unhappy for a few things because in Iran, persecution of the minorities was very high. Mostly I was a member of the Baha'i community and there was high persecution. So he called me and says, well, you know, you will never succeed. And I tell you, I'm going even to tell you that I'm going to cut my hand if you ever succeed to pass your great work. He was so unhappy not because of my education, but because of faith differences. But anyway, I overcome that. And during the exam, thanks God to that historical background, spiritual, learning about love and faith and prayers and meditation and this power of spirituality that is all uh, surrounding us. So I was able to write Again, remembering the prayers and I, <laughs> how do you say, uh, um, uh, embedded into the literature uh, that I was, uh, the the exams, uh, some of this and math was good. And so I succeeded actually with very good grades, which allows me to, allowed me to enter university. Then I left Iran and entered a university in France. So then I continued my education in France, and that was
0: um, less challenging. But- and I'm just gonna like jump in there real quick yeah. before we get into university. I wanna go all the way back with those onion skins for you to tell us what it was like for you and your family when, because you were six, leaving Iran That's- and going to Holland. Like, that is dramatically different. What was the culture shock like? Do you remember what it was like for, like, you personally or you and your family? Like, I take you guys probably weren't in Holland for that long. But, like, what was it like? Because I would assume that you had not been out of Iran yet. No, that's right. That was the first time.
1: I, I recall a story that was a bit funny. Um, you know, uh, in Iran, we don't have much cheese. Uh, From uh, (laughs) cheese, uh, the the way that the cheese, um, like for example, uh, camembert, you know, cheese, uh, some cheese are so smelly that I had never imagined that such thing existed before. And when we were in Holland, uh, we were at the breakfast and the cheese had kind of looked like it had worms in it because it was a cheese that could almost move <laughs> and the smell of it was horrible to our taste but other people love it because they, 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 they in the hotel they would bring this the most expensive because the family had the means so they would bring the most expensive foods including all the varieties of cheese and I remember when the seven children we were sitting there They brought the cheese, the smell was so overwhelming, we all ran (laughs) out of the the room, and my father and mother, to save face, they had to take some of it and show some kind of respect. That that one story that was showing that sometimes food is quite uh, challenging, (laughs) and not all the foods are... Our, uh, well, no, especially taste.
0: like cheese though too like some of those like stinky cheeses like they're just they're they're terrible like they're, there's no two ways to skin that cat like they're just bad like, <laughs> they're, yeah, they are, exactly they are. What you mean. so
1: that was one aspect i remember on the story in which okay you know because we had, we were seven children we had so much fun among ourselves so the i would say then the solitude or finding yourself isolated in a new environment was not that bad um, learning the language was a challenge and uh, in switzerland you had to learn two languages, french and german mm-hmm. and i started to learn some german but we moved in the french part of of, uh, of switzerland so that became french became my first language um,
0: otherwise um and you guys are kind of traveling around like as a small community because the the nine of you like that's that's basically like two or three families worth of people <laughs> right there. Right. So like you're almost traveling around as like this little micro community. So like I so, said, like you're gonna have a base layer of comfort because you're always gonna be able to connect with some that's, people every day.
1: That's right. There's there's also some another story that I remember. My father had bought a very large car, a Chevrolet which was very extended Chevrolet. They had this, uh, <laughs> the older, all their time, because with, with nine people in a car, at that time they didn't have any belt. So you could squeeze in as many people as you wanted yeah. in a car, and there was nobody to tell you that the number is, is restricted. Yeah. But I remember we, we started to travel in Switzerland and in Europe, and uh, um, we went to a hotel, To different hotel and nobody would accept us because we the number was too big and usually the hotels were small and so one night i remember we stopped in a park and uh, i remember with my brother we actually slept on the top of the roof of the car and it was fun we were camping (laughs) and we had enough tents and camps and uh, so in the morning we saw that people are all surrounding us and they are throwing money oh. to us, thinking that we are stranded <laughs> and we do not have any means to yeah. to move on. But anyway, I remember that story it was was very. And also with my brother, we were quite naughty. Sometimes we may make holes in the hotel rooms so that from one room we could communicate with the other. And of course, this was terrible, but. Another story that I remember when I was 10, 11 years old is that we decided to make a raft. And there was a lake, uh, Lake um, um, Le Mans, uh, which is a beautiful, they call it also Geneva in Geneva. And um, uh, we built that raft inside the basement of the house. In Switzerland, every house has and a basement that is for against atomic mm, um, blast. Uh, blast yeah so uh, every house has an atomic blast room underneath so and they, they always keep food as a reserve in those uh, houses and those apartment buildings and so we didn't know really how the things were as kids we build a raft and we 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 didn't plan it properly of course the raft could not come out of the door (laughs) we had to redo it and but we ended up to actually build the raft and we brought it out and we went to the lake and threw it in the lake and right after of course the police showed up (laughs) and uh, but we had so much fun doing that we learned so much Uh, and by experimenting we um we we had to pay quite a bit of fines yeah. <laughs> because we were kind of breaking the rules but it was the maybe the early spirit of invention and early desires to kind of contribute to discover to observe and uh, actually put your thoughts into action and for me life has been always how can i bring these beautiful thoughts we all dream we all have wishes and desires but i believe that these are not enough if we are inspired to actually have those thoughts that means maybe it's my gift it's my lot to bring some thoughts that i'm being given i'm inspired maybe it's my duty and there's a beautiful beautiful jewish saying says it says tikkun olam tikkun olam means that everybody has been created to mend a corner of the universe. We all have a mission on this earth. We have been created for a purpose, a reason, and we all have to seek out, to search out, what is the purpose of my creation? How can I fulfill my destiny? Because my destiny, often, is how I will serve other people. It's through service of other people that our destiny is discovered. Because whatever we do at the end has to be beyond the personal interest, the self-preservation. The, <laughs> um, the ego, by the way, is a force of preservation. It's it, If it's balanced, it's fantastic. Because when it's cold, we have to dress. We have to preserve ourselves. But when we do too much of self-interest, the ego, me, 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 overtake, then it becomes negative And it's become what... A great man says it becomes the insistent self. That's where the negative forces, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, we lose the balance of it. But anyway, in that in that desire of being of service, that's where we expand ourselves. And that's th- with a childhood that was very much warmly and with love, that desire of being of service was the prime um,
0: force that inspired. A reaction see and the one thing that uh, like that really comes to mind like you know one of the first words you just beginning spending was you know when the, you guys couldn't find a hotel so you had to sleep in this parking and your brother were sleeping on the on the roof of the car like i know as a parent of like three girls you kind of have this expectation of like what should be right or like what what's a good environment like what what's going to afford them like happiness and like but again like you know when we look back at it now as like adults saying like that was some of the the best times of your life like of all the stories you remember you remember that one and how rich and how invaluable that is so my my question behind this is is like how did your parents like interpret those moments like at that time like you know was it hard for them knowing that you guys had to sleep in this parking and your your brother was sleeping on the roof and there were some other children sleeping in tents or maybe like in the car or were they just of like such free spirit that that was just a part of this quest that they left iran for because if you guys would never would have left iran in the first place presumably that you know you guys's life you know being as wealthy as what your family was would would have been in the life's lap of luxury you know but now you guys find yourself like in a in a park sleeping in tents and on the roof of the car like how is that on your parents well um first of all they
1: had great faith and they believed that there's this amazing creator who has created this beautiful universe and everybody receives the gift of food air water and so we live this in beautiful, beautiful planet so destiny is something that we have to embrace accept the daily chores and challenges of our life as part of something that is often my wife, dear wife, Susan, who is sitting beside me here, she always says, life is a school and we're here to learn. So these challenges are actually tremendous gifts um, that are training us, they are teaching us to become more resilient, to become more uh, softer, to become more understanding. And also to understand a little bit some of the challenges that the homeless people are going through. The challenges of people who are deprived of food, of, uh, you know, lodging. They're deprived of so many things. Or some other people, sometimes their families, they, they, they have challenges in their families. They have separation. They have difficulties. So whether you're rich or poor, the challenges are always there money is not the 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 the, the issue is the attitude that you have towards life the view of life your vision your inner strength and the beauty is that we have all been given uh, these qualities we just uh, sometimes forget that we have that and that's why when we have these challenges this this resilience in us comes out and the best of us comes out and um so that's basically uh, something that we all face. Uh, I remember a friend, a dear friend who went to, to um, Russia and he said, Russian, they never shared their, their challenges among themselves because they considered that it's the most normal thing. To have a challenge, a difficulty, is part of life, this, there's nothing new. Who told you that life was going to be easy? Is there anybody who told you that? (laughs) So basically for them, it's part of life. Uh, Challenge is part of life. This is the beauty and we are here to learn things.
0: You know, and through like Western culture and technology, like we try to eliminate challenge, you know, even down to like personal, physical challenge of, you know, like, like walking or, you know, like like in a way to be able to interpret that is you know how we have these fitbits and apple watches and all that stuff now saying that you just need to take ten thousand steps is like a reminder just even to move because we have the the ability to not even move on such a basic level (laughs) you know but like where like adversity in a lot of other countries in the world you know like it's just it's such a real part of everyday life that again like you know you've there's this culture of people that like they don't even talk about their struggles, not because they're hardened individuals like what we interpret. Like, you know, Russians are just these hard, crazy, you know, like just the definition of like, you know, like fortitude in a human being. But they just look at it as, why aren't we all like that? This is just life. This is who we all are. That's who we are. That's who we are.
1: And th- those are actually these difficult moments are going to be extremely Important in our lives because we always can come back to them and remember that we actually went through it. After the rain, there's always sunshine. (laughs) So basically, we know that challenges will be always there, they will come to us, and we just have to pray in our heart that we will have the strength to overcome them. And we can. And the beauty is that if we are connected to other people and we have families, friends, and together we talk about them, discuss it, so we express it. We don't keep it too, too hard in ourselves, and we open up to others. Uh, those challenges and difficulties will discover that, wow, other people has as many challenges as I do. And, uh, you know, not, not uh, everybody is a rosy life and easy. No, everybody has difficulties, and life is about... Um, beautiful overcoming this challenge and learning as much as possible because
0: we we will grow through that so, so then that actually brings me to another question i wanted to address because you guys made the trip from iran like was the acceptance in holland and switzerland you know, like, you know, coming from, like, Iran, like, did you guys, like, face any, like, racism or, like, like, cultural adversity? Like, was there any of that? Or was everybody very welcoming? Like...
1: No, 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 no. In in Switzerland, um, they only welcome your money. (laughs) Your bank account, actually, you lose interest every day you put your money there. They don't give you interest. They take money out of you. Uh, When you put money... It, it, you lose your money because they said that we are protecting your money. Mm-hmm. So basically, we don't give you interest. We yeah. take interest from you. So basically, it was a challenge. And also, um, the challenge of language, the challenge of diversity yeah, yeah. from different culture.
0: Uh, you are not accepted necessarily uh, easily. Um and um, Was it hard going to school? Like were the other kids what were the other kids like when you guys started school? Yeah. did you guys get picked on, you know, being from Iran? Like um, where, so I can imagine like this is yeah. in, in, in what, like the nineteen nineteen yeah. fifty
1: yeah. Fifties, sixties. At that time, um, kids actually they play along. They fit along. They don't see if at the family they don't learn the prejudices of the parents. <laughs> the kids get play together and enjoy each other's company, and they do naughty things together. That makes them more <laughs> a kind of companionship. They have secret among themselves, but nonetheless, that was not the. That was not uh, really something that I experienced. Uh, Mm. Thanks God. uh, And even if I had experienced, somehow the attitude of of love and uh, strength that was given from the family, we would overcome them because this idea of being of service to others Mm. attracts a lot of friendship. Mm. And from childhood trying to look here and there how can we help how can we serve was creating a lot of unity among around us so therefore people would not come really bully because there was not desire to to always show off in front of others and attract uh, yeah. the jealousy of other people,
0: so you you avoid uh, all these uh, challenges. And how beautiful for that that time frame, and and it brings me back to like a, a next challenge. You know, like a lot of people face with you know now, you know, like parents are facing with like their children and children growing up in environments where there there's no longer like an abundance of nuclear families. So, you know, this is something that we discussed before we started this podcast, but. You know, what was it like for you as, you know, like children and you as siblings um, when your parents told you that they were leaving to be able to go back to Iran and that you guys were going to have to stay with these other families? Like, was that hard? Because you guys were like separated as siblings, then also at the exactly same time separated from your
1: parents. That's right. That's right. It it was extremely difficult in that sense because, um, but as I said, when... It's like a spring. Love is like a spring. You compress the spring, and when you need that discharge, it's like a battery. (laughs) The more love you give at childhood, the more stronger you are at the teenage age. And we had received so much love from childhood that when we saw these difficulties, then that spring, Unloaded loaded itself and then we were able to overcome that and of course time to time among siblings we see each other and replenish our our love <laughs> pocket but it was it was um, it was difficult in the sense that separation is always difficult and for nobody separation is easy but the question is to look it's like a glass you know if you change your glass, uh, your eyeglasses, and put blue eyeglasses, the world has not changed. But your perspective of view of the world has changed. It's the same thing with challenges of life. The challenges will be always there. The world is always the way it is. But if you change your eyeglasses and put eyeglasses that are more rosy, then suddenly your perspective of the world has changed and therefore you are able to overcome that because the world is what the world is if you expect to change others to fit your desire it's difficult but if you start to change yourself and try to understand and be more uh, understanding but also um look at we are not there to change the world i mean other people We we can change the world, but we cannot change other people. But through transformation of yourself, you you can change so much. Because when you become more accepting and more understanding, suddenly you are affecting the environment. And by affecting the environment, other people are so affected that they also become understanding and more loving. So therefore, you are the change that you want to see
0: to happen. You are
1: the change. You want to change somebody else? First change
0: yourself. You know, in a, a really, really easy way to transfer it and realize like how much like that is just at the root core of us genetically is that, you know, if say like in an environment like this, it, you know, if I choose to work out a little bit harder with a group of people, they will then just start to work out a little bit harder naturally because it's that, that inspiration, that gotcha. like that drive, you know, like if, you know, you know, if somebody in a social network happens to get like a, a new car, then other people want to get like a new car, you know, like if somebody gets like new clothes, they want to get new clothes, you know, like if somebody has a child, other people want to have a child, like it's just, it's a part of us when we see and, and somebody changes like that, that, that environment that we're a part of, like we also want to change ours. Like it's in Mm -hmm. every single aspect of our lives. That's right. right.
1: So that, that basically, that was a reality. And so at the age of, um, 18, then I traveled, and moved to France, where I entered uh, schooling, university, and
0: technology, and I so went... So why France? So why, so once what? you, you know, you did, you passed grade 12, you know, like, under these crazy circumstances, you know, like, your teacher saying that I'm going to cut my hand off if you pass, because, <laughs> of, like, of religious beliefs, you know, but it's, but now you end up in, in France, like why, out of all the universities or colleges that you could have yeah. gone to, like why, why but, was it France?
1: You know, because French was the language that I was uh, more familiar with. I knew some Persian, but not good enough. <laughs> but when uh, naturally you want to go to a French speaking language. Uh, country and France was a natural choice because French and France <laughs> are mm-hmm. come together so I applied at different universities and there was a university called the University of Dijon Dijon that the mustard you yeah. know uh, Dijon yeah. mustard and actually uh, every morning we would have mustard as breakfast mustard as part of our lunch and mustard as part of our dinner because the mustard was so delicious and sweet because it was freshly made. Mm-hmm. And um, it, you, you would sit on any table of that university and there was at least four or five bottles of mustard on that
0: table. That was the staple kind of food, uh, but anyway. But it's funny because it, you know then it goes show like you know when you have the opportunity to be able to travel and see the world, you know. So like you you talked about like the cheeses in you know Switzerland, <laughs> and then you talked about like the mustard in France. Like like these are the beauties about like traveling and experiencing other cultures, where it's not like you know here somebody be like would be like, well. I had my Timbit in my coffee or, you know, like I had my Starbucks or, you know, like I had my McMuffin with McCoffee or yeah. like, like that's what we see here. And like, you see like the, the richness and the depth of like the culture, because those are things that are refined over centuries, you know, not yeah. even decades. Like it took centuries to be able to get to that. And, and then you just, you get amalgamated into this environment and get to experience the richness of that culture, you know, on such like a basic level, but it, it also opens up my eyes to show how like, you know, like a cultural deficit we are, you know, in, in Western culture because we don't have those things. Like we have trends we connect with at the time, but we have we have nothing that brings us to the depth, you know, of like our environment and our culture. And like, again, how people have spent decades and centuries refining their craft. To, to produce this where you say like you know you'd have it for like I've never thought about having mustard for breakfast you know <laughs> if I did it's probably because I hadn't been to bed yet from the night before and I wanted a hamburger or something like that you know like yeah. that's the only time but it's like for so oh, me it was
1: a shock too yeah. when, when I saw that everybody it's you know for example you butter you know and you have yeah. peanut butter you put it on a piece of bread here you had a huge amount of mustard
0: that you yeah. put on your bread and that people were ravishing of the delicious must did there anything yeah <laughs> but how amazing though like just yeah so yeah. Um, you're in France now you're going you're at uh, the University of Dijon yeah I'm the University of Dijon I
1: studied math and physics the first thing that the teacher told us he says only 5% of you will succeed The 95% of you will fail so those who are here <laughs> who are not going to work and study hard the door is over there that mm-hmm. was the first day that <laughs> the professor told us, that the only thing that I ask you is to do your homework. And most of you, you will not even understand the math we are going to do uh, to study because it's so complicated. It's a new, because at that time, computers were just in the early days, 1970, 69, 70, 71. Um, so the computers were just the, the first development of computers, and uh, mathematics were around the infinite, uh, you know, how the, for example, aerodynamics of cars works, and so you had to come with new mathematics that were very fresh, and you had to learn about how to use computer, which by the way, they were in huge building. And we were only allowed to look behind glass <laughs> windows, the computer that was inside that big room. And it was a hole. And you had this Fortran um, kind of uh, cardboard, thousands and thousands of cardboards that you would carry with you. And if ever you drop them, and they are to be supposed in a certain order because each one had one single code.
0: <laughs> wow. So I remember that. And the, the thing, just for like real quick, that I, I was thinking there is like, you know, how we have such a tough time, like in school and now, just thinking like the monotony and the boredom of going to school. Like, you know, like a lot of people, you know, like connect that I hear with the kids around here all the time. Like, I experienced that myself. But, you know, for. For you to go and then be in this classroom where a teacher say 95% of you're going to fail, and even like the 5% that stay may not even understand the math that we're going to teach you, but the the three years that you've been in school now is, you know, say essentially grade 11, your parents leave, and you're in a country by yourself, you've been split from your parents and your siblings, but that didn't deter you from doing well in school. You know, then you go to Iran where you don't know the language, you don't know nothing, and you have to try to be able to find a way to succeed. There's no power in your home. You're outside at night underneath the street lamp to be able to study because there's no power in your house amongst all the other kids finding their street lamps. You're successful there and amongst like a teacher who wants you to fail because of cultural beliefs. You know and is encouraging you to fail and is even so passionate about you failing saying he's going to cut his hand off if you do pass that's right and then you then you change countries again your third country and essentially probably that's three or four years and you end up getting in front of another teacher that basically encourages you to fail again because (laughs) you're statistically going to fail you know like you know like it just but to be successful in an environment is absolutely absurd compared to what we think real problems are now. <laughs> well uh, yeah well that was
1: that was, as I said, you you look at uh, diversity as, at um, challenges as kind of uh, stepping stones. Um, each one teaches you something. There's a Chinese saying that says, Your best friends, your greatest teachers are your enemies because they're going to (laughs) tell you where you may fail or you will fail. So basically, they will be the greatest teachers. So is life, the more challenges and testing and failures you have, the more you learn how to do it right. And uh, I highly uh, welcome failure. As an inventor, I think that's what makes the distinction between true inventors and those who very quickly give up. Because for me, I always know from the beginning that I will fail. I don't do it with the intention to fail. I do it with the best intention to succeed. But I know that the failure will be the greatest teacher. So I always look, where is it that it's not going to work? because I know that unless I try, I will not know. Mm -hmm. And this is the beauty, and I think this is the secret that makes inventors inventors. Mm -hmm. It's basically they don't give up, they are persistent, they try, they persist, and they accept failure as the biggest lesson of Mm -hmm. the the learning process. And it's so beautiful. And if you have um, people surrounding you who encourage you, who support you, you are lucky. But most of the time, it's not the case. Because when you are different and you think differently, other people feel maybe threatened or feel unhappy or there is a discomfort level that you create by being different. (laughs) And so you have to learn how to overcome that. And if you are very profoundly, you see, an invention is like a hunch. You have a hunch, and that hunch is your gift. And that gift is exactly what I said. We are, each one of us have been created to mend a corner of the universe. That gift that you're receiving, that inspiration, maybe it's your gift. And you have to be strong enough to stay behind it and carry it forward, make it happen. And challenges will definitely be there. Mm-hmm. So that basically was the, the lesson uh, that was always constantly working in me. And um, so at I finished um, three years of university, mm-hmm. math, physics. I'm not sure if I failed or succeeded because very fortunately my mom, <laughs> <laughs> came and I, I graduated but i'm not sure if i understood even the the subject of the university because it was so complex and he was right when he was saying five percent will succeed or fail the idea was also that it was so complex that i was not able really to fully understand what it was but i had a feel for it and uh, but thanks god that feel When I came to Canada, um, in 1972, we emigrated to Canada and that was not an easy task, too, because at that time, um, we came into the, um, I had a Persian passport, Iranian passport, and on the passport, it's written, this passport is not valid for immigration. Oh, So that means that I'm not allowed to show that passport for immigration. And accordingly, the government that receives me, because of a court between government, is not allowed to accept me as an immigrant. (laughs) So here, I tell my mom, my mom said, don't worry. We will say a prayer, and God will close the eyes of the customs agents. (laughs) I said, wow, this is the degree of faith that she has. That faith was always present. She knew that, don't worry, there is a greater God. He loved us. He created us. Here we are on this planet. He's going to take care of us. Don't worry. (laughs) So that was the general theme every moment of our life. My mom would say, don't worry, it will work. And so we showed up to the Canadian immigration And for some reason, exactly what she said, (laughs) we we passed through the immigration and of course we had to fill up a lot of forms and documentation, but that was in the um, 1972. So (laughs) we entered Canada and I tell you from that moment, every time I enter Canada, I have tears every single time i put back my foot into canada i have tears i travel a lot extensively but in the early days (laughs) and canada has been a welcoming country has been lovely 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 people are kind are at least that that environment in which canada has created allows for integration of people in a peaceful way the competition is is there, but it's not um, overemphasized, it's not uh, overdone like many other countries. Um, I love the. there is some kind of sense of order in Canada, which most countries I have not seen. Um, although nothing is perfect, but it's very close to what my heart <laughs> wishes to see. And I see that in Canada. So basically, we entered Canada, uh, went to university again. I spoke French and no English. Again, a big, big challenge. And now I'm entering University of Toronto, which is purely English language.
0: So let's stuff right there. So why the University of Toronto? Like why? Why Canada? Like obviously, like you know, I'm biased and you guys are biased now. But like you know, back then, you're like, like what was it? Like why leave? Friends and come oh. here, like, or why? And I presume it was your whole family that came. Well, at that time, my sister had already emigrated to Canada, and she
1: talked so highly of Canada that the whole family was okay. My sister Gila, um, so we said, Okay, that's it, we all emigrate to Canada, and from all places that we were living seven brothers and sisters. And mother, father, we all immigrated to Canada, and Canada became our home. Since then, and after that, um, I had a challenge. Now I have entered the country. I mean, a part of the the country in which the university is in English language, and I speak only French. And uh, so I went some night classes, learning a bit of English. <laughs> And I had to pass an exam called the TOEFL exam, which is the entry for foreign students. And um, so I studied intensively as I could, but then so strangely, I had a kind of dream. And that dream was very strange. In that dream, I saw that I was going to go Four or five hours beho- before the exam, I would have to go and sit down on a um, kind of, uh, uh, how do you call this, park, uh, park bench, yeah, um, and somebody will come and will hand me all the answers, and I felt so strange about that dream, but I said, usually my dream, I follow through, so I'm going to go and sit down, and somebody will come so I had my papers uh, trying to memorize as much as possible for the, for the uh, TOEFL exam and to my strange <laughs> expectations um, a Greek boy <laughs> came and sat beside me and he said I tried five times the TOEFL exam and I failed and I have an idea of the same questions some of them will come back. So now I have figured out what are the questions that regularly are coming back in the exams. And said, oh my God, you have that. Please, can I study with you? And that's, that's it. Yeah. I sat down and we studied together. And thanks God, it was a miracle. I actually passed the exam <laughs> and entered the school, the university now i am sitting there and I'm french speaking and most of the english and the professor was from texas <laughs> as a texan accent which makes it even ten times more difficult mm-hmm. because already you have the language problem but you have also a very strong accent yes. that was extremely pronounced but it was math and physics which was i was good so i would It was as though he was not present, and I would go and take books and study. Anyway, I succeeded, thanks God. It was wonderful years of studying at university, and graduated at the University of Toronto.
0: I got a question for you real quick that just popped into my mind there. Do you think, because you just, you you have such humility and you really try to connect your your continual presence in this world always back to your love and your energy like for helping people and helping humanity do you think that that connects you with your intuition to a greater degree because you're you're always trying to be able to connect with 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 other human beings and it, because I really feel like if we're really just focused on being selfish and nurturing our ego for ourselves that we're only really connected with our wants and needs. So we're never really gonna look outside and past ourselves, but you've lived your life, presumably up until this point, about 21, 22, 23 years of an existence that's just being indoctrinated in you by your parents of that it is about humanity, it's about love, it's that we're here for a purpose, we're here for each other, that that allows your intuition for life and the things that you need to connect with at a greater degree.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you, you touch a very profound uh, insight, psychological point of life. And, you know, uh, when you think of others, you are actually expanding. You're expanding your thoughts, your love, your, your, your being towards others. By extending that, you're expanding yourself and your ability and exactly as you said, your intuition. Increases because you become very, um, you imbued uh, by the aura, by the movement, by the reaction, by the the needs of other people. You because their needs are often your needs, and everybody needs minimum <laughs> conditions of life. And so when you are perceptive to other people's need, you are actually discovering yourself because you are they are reflecting of your life yeah. they are reflecting you and you see the reflection of yourself in the eyes of others and so they become a reflector of who you are and the more you give the actually the more you receive it's like a ball of tennis you bang it against the wall it comes back to you the more love you give the more you receive yeah. material world. Well, the more you give, the poorer you become. In the spiritual world, the more you give, the richer you become. Mm-hmm. The more love you give, the more love you receive. Whereas in material, where the more you give, you, the poorer you become, because material is, is limited to a certain amount, whereas spiritual world, there's no limit. And so, well, and,
0: and material is like like self-consumption, you know, like in <laughs> self-absorption. So, you know, like when, when you look at, like, typically the more material things you get, the more that you socially isolate yourself, potentially, because you know, like you wanna use these things and be around these things, you know, like that you have. You know, but like when you entrench yourself in, you know, like, you know, experiencing like your happiness through the happiness of other people and helping other people, like you say, like you, you become you're always out in your community. You're always around, you know, people who want to give love and show love and you know, and be a part of that experience. That's so right. again, like how do you not become you know more rich as a byproduct of that experience
1: that's right absolutely yeah. absolutely and so that was the beautiful experience that was given by our parents and that gift we have tried to give it to our children i have tried to give it to, to our children and i have beautiful beautiful children mm-hmm. four children and they were born by the way i will tell you our, our trip to africa later mm-hmm. and uh, how this affected them mm-hmm. and um, so basically, after University of Toronto,
0: I... How was, tell us a little bit about the University of Toronto experience, you know, because like you got there, you know, you got into the University of Toronto, like how long were you there for, like what programs did you take, what I, I took engineering, mechanical engineering.
1: Um, I, I entered um, third and uh, finished fourth grade, fourth, um, and I graduated after only two years because I had already the background of the first uh, prerequisite. And um, I remember that um, because I didn't speak properly the, the English language at that time, uh, which today I still am struggling, but...
0: <laughs> I, I would hardly say you're struggling at speaking <laughs> but, English But right anyway,
1: uh, I, I saw, uh, for example, some people, students, lining up somewhere in front of a door and said why are all these people lining up i should go and line up too (laughs) and it was scholarship so then i learned oh my god (laughs) so i up and looked here and there and anyway it was an amazing experience Uh, beautiful beautiful university very very professionally and the engineering school is one of the best engineering schools of canada and i was so fortunate to attend that school so I graduated and it happened that I chose the team for my thesis um, designing um, automatic washing, uh, window washing system for high rise building. And the moment I graduated, then there were some people who were interviewing students. And one of them, um, the interviewers had heard that I was doing something like that for window washing and he came, oh, we are designing the CN Tower and we need somebody to design the window washing system for the CN Tower. Okay, you are hired. Oh my God, that was an amazing uh, experience. And as um, it was a consulting company and uh, I worked for them for a year. And we, by the way, we ended up not adopting (laughs) because it's a telecommunication tower and there should be no electrical and no electronic involved Mm -hmm. with it. So we ended up to use a mechanical system. But anyway, that was an amazing experience because we use the technology for other buildings, but not for this building. But anyway, after that, I decided that we'll go to live in Quebec because I was French speaking country uh, coming from French-speaking origin, I thought that I would go to Quebec and live in Quebec.
0: And There's uh, really no borders to your personal sovereignty, is there? Like, no. You know, like just because you guys have just traveled so much and essentially, like, you know, listening to you tell a story now about how it's like, well, you know, we, we came to Canada, you know, then, you know, I graduated, then went to Quebec as naturally I'm French speaking. It's like, but that was exactly the purpose of why your parents left Iran in the first place with you guys. is
1: to be able to experience the world there is a greater purpose there is a greater purpose you know uh in our faith we believe that the world is but one country and mankind is citizen Mm -hmm. so as Bahais, we see the globe as one country we do not see any borders my country is the globe Mm -hmm. so i do not feel at all an outsider, anywhere on globe earth, I feel I am in it, I am part of it, and I am inside my home. And I truly, honestly, sincerely believe that. I lived in Africa, I lived in Laos, I lived in Southeast Asia, I lived in China, for many, many years, I learned six languages, all this, I always felt at home. And wherever I go, Whatever type of people, colors, face, religion, uh, origin they are, I feel really at home on this global, uh, this global system. So because of that faith that is animating the spiritual inner forces, I feel at home with people. I feel at home because they are my people. I am their people. I am one. We are one. We are one family. one, One people. So I feel that so intensively so that my eyes do not see. I may have talked to somebody who was black color and then later on, if somebody had asked me, oh by the way, what was the color? I would have not remembered. I would have remembered everything we said, discussed, but I would have forgotten what was the color of that person because that was not the distinguishing feature that what would have touched me. It was his heart, how he was reacting with his heart, how he was talking about true authenticity, spiritual values that he was conveying. So um, that, I think that's the greatest gift of traveling, of discovering other culture. And as you said, we have to welcome this traveling and exchanges
0: and um the diversity of the human experience yeah absolutely. absolutely so when you get to quebec like what what happened in quebec like what did well you really get i could quebec for three months i didn't have a job it was
1: tough it was hard uh at that time getting a job in quebec was very very difficult and uh, being an outsider in a kind of <laughs> at the beginning uh, because you're not you're suddenly parachuted in an environment you have to know people you have known the environment and i got an interview and uh, i asked who is the interviewer this is sorry we cannot tell you so wow what kind of interview is going to be that i don't know who's <laughs> going to interview me and they interviewed me and at the end they said you got the job. I said what job is it? I say oh, this is the center of inventions. Whoa, for Quebec. It's called what? Centre Industriel Cric, Centre de Recherche industrielle du Quebec, which is the research center for industrial. So here, my dream
0: wow. from childhood. Now I was going to be an inventor at the research center for Quebec. And it goes back to your intuition, like why move to Quebec?
1: That's right. I had no clue that ever this dream of mine, that desire, that passion had come true. And here, I am there, I'm really passionately serving the people of Quebec with love and uh, devotion, making a lot of circles of friends and friendship and building unity, communities around, in addition to my engineering work, and research and then suddenly I hear after a year oh by the way I got married at that time a beautiful French Canadian lady young beautiful she was a Catholic missionary and she had come back uh, after she had become extremely ill so after two years of uh, working with leprosy mm. in Congo uh, French Congo she had to return for hospitalization to Quebec and she was recovering. And uh, so we became friends and uh, later on I married her. And uh, um, we were married only for three months. Then suddenly a great teacher of my faith, uh, called Dr. Mahajar, he passed through town and he said, we need volunteers to go to Africa said okay that's a good idea but then he said there are pygmies who suffer tremendously congolese pygmy in zaire in congo and the government at that time was cutting all the trees because the trees are extremely expensive they are teak wood they are special wood very rare wood and they were cutting all the trees for both uh, agriculture and also for money And the pygmies, who have lived for many, many years, for 5,000 years, they have lived, this is their natural habitat, they were chased out by the army, out of the forest. And they had nowhere to go. They were dying in big, big numbers. And when I heard the story, I said, okay, we will volunteer. We will go to Africa and see what we can do for the pygmies. And uh, it was so hard. I loved so much my engineering work, and the career, the possibilities, the the technology, I love technology, and so for three days I cried and cried and cried, it's a morning, you know, you love this job so much, but at the same time you want to be of service to the people, you know that they are suffering over there, and it's it's such a big, 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 it was a huge, 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 huge... challenge in life but i felt that okay we're all connected and if they suffered that much then i cannot live in peace here i have to go and so that's it with my wife my first <laughs> wife she was french canadian she passed away later but uh, at that time we decided that okay we'll volunteer and we'll go to to congo and um at that time it was called Zaire. So we with the little thing that we had, we closed everything in Quebec and started our journey and arrived in Congo and then we decided okay we'll go deep into the part of Congo which
0: is called Kisangani. You know, why don't we do this? Because like that was the first part. So like we're We're just over an hour into, like, and we got you to kind of, like, the next phase of your life. So, um, you know, like, we talked about and I've kind of told everybody that this would be a multi-part series podcast anyway. And I think this would be a great time to be able to, We'll shut this one down. We'll cap it. And because, like, it's this next part sounds like this, and I know from a little bit of the backstory, this is really, like, the big next phase of your life. So um, we're going to shut this one down, and I just, like, I, I think, like, there's just there's so much value in getting to know like you as a person but not only that it's like it kind of reconnects like everybody who's been on the podcast and, you know like just something that like I really try to drive home now is just you know like getting back into just having like a greater sense of like our community and having more compassion for each other and just you know kind of giving up on a lot of things that would like what we think are of value in western culture and I think you've been like the living, walking, breathing example of that, that has been on the the podcast. Cause when you're talking about like, you know, crying for days about leaving your, your engineering job in Quebec, like, like my heart's falling out of my chair. I'm like, the tears are almost running down my face. I'm just like, I am just such a terrible human being. Like, I'm like, I I couldn't even imagine like doing like, it is incredible that like you just, the self sacrifice of leaving something that you clearly have worked like over 20 year, 25, 26 years to be able to achieve, and you finally get to this where you're connected with, and the only thing that really connects you with is continuing the journey to be able to help your fellow man.
1: It's you crazy. know, I, I think um, there are many people who would do similar things. It's not. Um, it's it's tough. It's hard. Decision making is such a. But there is, inside you, there is that deep desire that we are one. It's like the cells of one body. They are all connected. And then one part of the cell it hurts. The whole body hurts. The same thing, that there is so much interaction between every cell of the body, of the human body, of, that the same analogy extends to humanity. If one people, one group is suffering, we truly, as a whole, we pay the price. And that's why I feel that we're all connected. And the joy of one is also the joy of all. And this is the victories that we are all facing. And I think the victory is all in us uh, as we live it. (laughs) Because uh, I, I feel the joy of others and I feel the, you know, the sorrow and the challenges and we are all one. So at the end, we will realize that sooner or later, more and more realize that. And this is a day in which actually uh, through the telecommunication, TV, internet, we're discovering the world has become a global family, a global system, and everything is so close now to each other that we feel it now more than ever. So, um, but the, the lesson I would take from, from this session is that by sharing, we discover that the only thing that is common in us is our humanity, is our love, which is a love of each other because we are in a beautiful blue planet. We love it, we cherish it. Every moment we wake up, I wake up, I, my wife is here, I wake up with a big smile because I said thank you thank you for giving us this opportunity whoever is the creator you listen <laughs> we love you thank you for our creation without this beautiful experience of consciousness we would not know even that we're conscious and we are beings that have this bounty of having these experiences of life and of course um, carry on that experiences to other world we will talk about that later Mm -hmm. is there another world? is there another form of existence on planet earth? these are personal experiences that we all go through but uh, I am a very strong believer that having faith whatever faith it is, religion culture, spirituality having faith is the most beautiful things that there is and there is a great man called Abdul Baha. He said, as you have faith, so shall your blessing be. Mm. This is the balance, this is the balance, this is the balance. That means to the degree of faith that we have, that degree we have confirmations coming to us. So having faith in life, having faith into each other, not judging each other, but looking at the best in other people, we are able to release their best if i look at you at your weaknesses naturally my focus will become focused on your weaknesses and i see weaknesses and there's no relationship that we can be established but if i look at your best and i forget The weaknesses then suddenly you are empowered with your best because now you see that other people are looking at your best and therefore suddenly your best becomes more and more and more and expand and expand and if we all do look at each other's best imagine what world we create and this is the environment that i'm very much looking forward and we do that already with our little neighborhoods already and we're starting to build and connect people together and create a neighborhood in which we learn how
0: to look at the best of each other. Yeah, absolutely incredible, incredible. All right, well, we'll end it there, folks, and like I said, stay tuned because we're just gonna pause this one, we're gonna save it, and we're gonna continue on with Israel's journey in life, part two, so um, stay tuned.